It's been way too long, and I really miss you. Love you, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Top fives and deep dives with Town and PTM. Top fives and deep dives with Town and PTM. Top fives and deep dives with Town and PTM. Top fives and deep dives with Town and PTM. My favorite director would have to be Martin Scorsese. Followed by. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Top Fives and Deep Dives. Justin over here in LA. I've got Mike in England. What's up, dude? Yo, what's up, man? Nothing. Nothing. Very excited about today. Have a uh, have a have a beer by my side. You've got what do you, what do you have? This is bourbon. Okay, it's gonna and I know our guest is gonna be drinking too. So this is this this could get interesting today. Gives me flashbacks to the Oscar snubs episode with Rory. Shout out, Rory. We are going to continue. A series today. We started this many months ago, and our guest, who we're going to introduce shortly, really liked this topic. And it was something that we had been planning to do a series with. And it's actually going to be one of our two exclusive Patreon series. But we thought, you know what? We have this, this legendary guest that wants to come on. Let's do our second one for everyone. And it can be a little teaser into the Patreon if you want to if you want to get on there. Three dollars a month, you get so much content. If you're interested, just tons of extra content. If you're a big fan of the pod, anyway, that topic is top five movies we hadn't seen, and what that means. If you didn't listen to our first episode like this, movies that you'd think over the course for for guys that love film you'd think we would have seen these movies over our 30 plus years. And it's sort of boggling that we haven't seen the ones and we list it out into a top five list. And that's what we do. So it's going to be a very fun episode. And before we get there, we're going to talk about our spotlight for the week. This week, we are talking about The Suicide Squad. Just recently released. I know it feels like there's been a million because there has. There was one... That came out in, I believe it was 2015, maybe 16, uh, 2016. But they went fast and furious on it. They just put a the, and I got so confused. Yeah, <laughs> they just put a the. They made it rated R. This one's written and directed by James Gunn. We've got Margot Robbie, of course. We've got Idris Elba, John Cena, Joel Kinnaman, Sylvester Stallone, Viola Davis. Some great cameos in there as well uh, that I won't spoil at the moment. Or small roles, we'll say. But yeah, DC, you know, this is from the DC universe, not the Marvel universe. DC hasn't had the best track record, but this one has been getting very good reviews. And I have to say that I thought it was uh, very mediocre. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was all right. I, you know, I would not discourage somebody from seeing it, but, you know, yeah, I thought it was all right. I mean, you're... You like superhero stuff more than I do, mm-hmm. so I'm a little surprised to hear you say that, like you said, based on the reviews. But, you know, even for me, it was, you know, good for some chuckles. And it didn't – I actually was kind of surprised that, like, you know, obviously superhero stuff has been done into the ground and there's no stopping in sight. And, and superhero parodies is not close behind. But this didn't this didn't really feel played out to me. It was, it was all right. It was funny. I, I enjoyed it. Here's what I'll say about it. 
because I feel like I was a little harsh right there. What I'm going to say about it is that it's one of the best DC superhero films I've seen since they've tried to go this whole route. It's just that even with James Gunn, even with this great cast, it still just to me sort of feels like the same old thing as someone that's seen so many of these superhero movies at this point. And I I almost would say that I enjoyed the the Harley Quinn spinoff more, the Birds of Prey film. I really liked that. I thought that was actually speaking of probably their best one that they've done within this world. And I thought this was good, but uh, well, good's taking again, mediocre. I'd say that if you're into this, if you're into superhero movies, give it a watch because it's it's a fun time. I do think you're going to get the most enjoyment out of it, you know, if you're between the ages of 13 and 23. But it's, I don't know, it's just another one along with the bunch. And it's better than a bunch of the DC stuff, but it still just does not touch Marvel. It just doesn't. It just does not. I think to to me, this is like the definition of like a three star film. Yes. It's it's fine. That's a great way to put it. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with it, but yeah, it's not it's not gonna blow you away. But if you like superhero shit, if you like DC shit, I'd say give it a watch. And it's on HBO Max, so you don't have to pay for it. So that definitely adds to the watchability for me, at least. There you go. There you go. All right, time to get to the episode and to a guest that I'm I'm so excited to finally have on the pod. Someone who I love talking about movies with. One of one of my dear friends in LA. A man of many skills, dare I say, the one and only Wilder Wega. What's up, dude? What's up, man? You you almost got my last name right. I was gonna say I knew that <laughs> as it came out of my mouth, I said I fucked it up. God <laughs> damn it! Ugh. You were like so not alone in that. Literally, no people, best friends of mine, lifelong friends. I think my wife still gets it wrong. You know, <laughs> you, you know what fucks me up. I'm so bad at pronouncing H's. It was like a thing growing up. And it's like, it it fucks me up. But you got to say it for us. Well, I'm so sorry that I uh, messed up your thing from growing up. (laughs) But my last name is Huga. Huga. And and then hopefully, you know, when we're on Spotify or Patreon, go onto Patreon. Um, Well, I'll tell you how to spell it, too, because it's... People mess that up all the time too. I know we'll how to spell it, out. it, baby. I know how to spell it. Okay, yeah, it's the H E U G A. Am I right? It's the mouth part that is difficult, which is a, an interesting challenge for somebody who hosts <laughs> podcasts. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my career is fading so quickly. <laughs> oh, dude, how are you? You guys, I am so so excited to be here. I am such a huge fan of this podcast. I'm so happy. That you brought up Rory at the top of the show because <laughs> I love that guy so much. This podcast <laughs> is such an insane way for me to like reconnect with friends that I haven't seen in a long time. A lot of friends of mine who have been guests. I'm I'm so happy. And Rory, you guys did this insane episode. You mentioned um, the one where you guys get drunk and talk about Oscar snubs. That mm-hmm. was a hilarious episode. Um, despite the fact that I don't think that Town's ever seen a movie before 2000. Other than Dude, 2001 facts, and Space facts. Put them on blast. <laughs> facts. Hey, hey, give me 1990 at least. Give me 1990. Okay, 1990. All right. Um, 
Yeah, and then, <laughs> oh my god, you guys have just on so many epic episodes. The one with Rory, where three guys sit around talking about movies that make them cry, is <laughs> insane. I approach this podcast like um, sort of like a horse race that I'm listening to on the radio, where I'm just like, come on, baby, like, call my movie. Because, like, <laughs> during the show, I'm, like, developing lists of my own and was very disappointed that on the crying episode, not a single one of my movies was named. But well, I had wow. such a chance. Let's hear them. Let's hear them. Oh, my God. Now i got to remember off the top of my head. Oh, see, um, it's not so easy, huh? Yeah, it's not. You guys have a tough job. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say uh, my top two because that's all I can remember right now. Um, if you guys have never seen the documentary, which I know documentaries aren't a particularly popular thing for you guys, um, but the documentary Dear Zachary will tear oh, yeah. you yeah. apart. Bro, I, that's on my list to see. Oh, really? Okay, yeah, man, that, that'll wreck you in kind of an amazing way, but in also in not an amazing way. It's, it's a complicated movie that I cannot believe is real, and so... Yeah, I would encourage everyone to check that one out. And then my number one is The Theory of Everything, um, which, uh, yeah, that's that has an insanely personal connection, which I don't, I'm not sure if a lot of people cried in that movie, but my dad had a similar disease to Stephen Hawking's, and there are parts of that movie that I, like, full-on experienced. Like, that there was a moment, and I was, like, recently dating my wife when I saw this in the theater, and I was like holding on to that seat for dear life, like trying to keep it together because <laughs> she's oh. like my new girlfriend. But, like, <laughs> I just, I need to look cool. So I, I left the theater and went to the bathroom and was in there for like 10 minutes, like in a stall. Oh <laughs> That's my a fun God. Yeah. So it was, it, that, that, I just thought that was such an incredible episode. Um, I was stoked to see you guys get into that. Just three guys talking about what makes them cry. I, I really loved it. There's part of that I think will play in a little bit to the rest of the show too. There's a theme Ooh. in the movies that make me cry. Ooh. So, yeah. I I am very intrigued. And yeah. dude, I well, one, of course, just just to back up there, appreciate all the kind words and like could not be more excited on the other side to have you on here as one of my my fellow sort of I'd, I'd say like film buffs like someone that actually like gives a shit about film and like watches a lot mm -hmm. of it and more honestly on the side of mike where like i feel like you've actually seen quite a bit of old films as well mm -hmm. but i also just love what you say about the movies that make us cry because i'd say topic wise like i'm not obviously there's been so many incredible episodes but that might have been my favorite topic i just thought it was such a yeah. like great like topic so i love that you that similarly hit you oh my god and you guys i know i know i just kind of went on a long thing about that one singular episode but you guys have done so many great episodes and it, like i love the one you did with casey byron where you talk about aliens and oh my god you she's gonna fucking love that so much oh my god you don't mention a single star wars movie was hilarious to me. <laughs> oh, like yeah. it doesn't Wait, how it, the fuck didn't we it didn't Dude, get mentioned at all it was oh. so hilarious and like that's a good segue actually to you mike because you oh, no. mentioned a lot on this show <laughs> <laughs> that you are not a fan of space. And I need a little clarification here. So did you see that 
and I might butcher this name too, which <laughs> I think is also a common theme on the show. The <laughs> Denis Villeneuve movie, Arrival. Yes. Because yeah. that movie it's good. is set in Montana. It's not in space, but it's a sci-fi movie. And I saw it. Okay. So it's, it, it's just when they get into it's space, approved. that's what you don't like. It's approved. I just don't like anything in space. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Man. Well, are you so excited about the upcoming Dune movie? Because that's that's on Dune. To be fair, I'll see that too. Yeah, there he is. is. We're breaking him. We're breaking I can, him. I give it a yeah, chance. Come on, I mean, every, everything that I say I don't like, I have like tons of exceptions for. So <laughs> you can't listen or trust me on anything, really. Well, and you yeah. know the, the big one, that Dark Knight trilogy. We'll get around to it. I've got another 49 episodes to go. I said I'd get it done by the 100th, so. That's a deal. We're going to, you like the Dark Knight, yeah, Wilder? Oh, yeah. I mean, now there is, I don't know necessarily what the debate is. If it's like, you know, is that the best movie of the series? Because there is argument to that. But obviously, Heath Ledger's acting was one of the most phenomenal things, I think, on screen. He's probably the best villain. But I think Batman Begins was a better written movie. Hey, I won't I won't lose it at that because I and I personally I, I don't know if I can argue with the writing. I, I'd say it's Batman Begins is not my favorite of the three, although I love them all. For Mike, it's just more he just straight up for years had just, has has said, but but is cracking and saying he's gonna rewatch all of them. He just says he doesn't like The Dark Knight and he really just doesn't like those movies. Mm-hmm. And it's been sort of a running joke, but he is going to go back with an open mind and rewatch yeah. them all. Well, and speaking of, if I can sort of segue here, I was thinking about watching the entire trilogy for this episode because <laughs> I hadn't oh seen, you God. know, I haven't seen the first or the third. Oh, man, you're, as I mentioned, you're missing out on potentially the best one. It's, and I, yeah. See, see a future episode. I'll definitely get down to the entire. Because if I do it, I'm going to watch the whole trilogy. I am wilder. This could be. Well, no, it's not. There's no hot takes here. But I, I just love all three of them so much. And I'm someone that I feel like loves the third one more than most people. I'm not saying I think that's the best one, but I love it. Okay. Well, hot. I yeah. think that's a hot take. Let's just throw them out. Come on. I mean, there we go. There we go. Got to lose? <laughs> I love it. I think that the third one is fucking fantastic. And I think mm-hmm. the ending is one of the all time endings in film. I think I need to go back with an open mind with that one. That was a tricky movie for me. There was too like much I, hype going into it. And that movie came out. You guys remember like the shooting that happened. That yeah, movie yeah, came out. That had that yeah. shooting like hanging over in Colorado, it. where that. you're from where i'm from yeah and i remember uh, we don't even have to get into all the people you know it was it was just horrific and i remember being in the theater being so uncomfortable watching Mm -hmm. this movie and so i think that that has kind of played into my opinion of that movie which is a dark turn for that yeah that is very dark but i understand which is why it's time it's time to revisit yeah with an open mind i'm there with you and you know what I went, I went in with an open mind to all these movies this week, and I watched quite a few, which I the last time we did this, I actually only watched five. This time I watched more. I'll probably save the others, to be honest, for another day. But the five that I got, I, I, they're all pretty big. They're all pretty big, boys. I've got, a, I've got some heavy hitters as well. I, this is going to be interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'm excited to see what both of you guys have. 
And just to be clear, because Town, I think we disagreed last time, and I'm guessing we probably did the exact same thing this time. <laughs> yeah. But have you rated your films five to one based on how much you liked them, or five to one based on how like, oh my god, you haven't seen that moment? How much I how much I liked them. Okay, I've done the second one. What have you done? <laughs> I did sort of a mixture of that. Nice. Okay, <laughs> because I saw, I also saw, I also saw. Um, more than five, which I was super excited for this challenge to knock some stuff off my list. Mm-hmm. I will say that there, I it's mostly from most, or from least liked to most liked. That being said, I put particularly one movie in this list, essentially just for shock value because I oh, think it's going to be crazy. But, okay, fantastic. But I haven't seen this movie. I'd say I'm pretty much on the wilder level in that I did do them based off how much I liked them, but I also took a little bit of liberty. If they were close, I put the one that would be more shocking higher. All right. Well, you're going to start us off today, right? I am. All right. I just, just get into it. Let's fucking do it. I got to hear it. And and yeah, like obviously not all these are going to be the biggest movies of all time, but they're all they're all notable movies. Okay, my number five is a genre of film that I love, the thriller, and it's quite a big one. 1996's Primal Fear. Ooh, nice. You seen this one? Wow, I, I have not seen this. This is another one that has been on my list for so long. I well, you know what? I will not ruin. Do do you know the ending? No. Okay, I'm not ruining anything. So to give you the general plot line, it's it's with Richard Gere, Edward Norton. Richard Gere plays an attorney, and he is defending Edward Norton's character, who has, in theory, uh, murdered this archbishop in the in the Catholic Church, and oh, so. The whole film is pretty much, I mean, there's a lot to it, but at the end of the day, it's about did Edward Norton do it or not? Because he says he didn't, and it just goes back and forth, and the ending is 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 a big one. It's it's one of the big endings, and I mean, I live for these type of movies. And, and the reason it's at number five is because, funny enough, unlike our last episode where I didn't really like any of the movies I watched. I liked every fucking movie I watched this time. I have to say that was insanely shocking. That last episode. I think that's why I texted you. Oh my One of God. the craziest things that happened is that I've never heard you say four negative things in a row. ever. <laughs> <laughs> and you said four negative things. Um, about the movies, and I was like, "Who is this guy? What is going on? Um, is, did he just? He's gotten all jaded and critical since now he's this big time talk show podcast host." <laughs> but dude, that was so crazy, and I I'm, I love that you're like you're back. He's I'm back. back, baby. And and for anyone, I mean, that doesn't know me personally, it it is a thing that. I tend to try to be positive on on movies and 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 just things in general. But for years, people would be like, "I don't believe." Like, I'd see a movie and people would be like, "That movie sucked." I'm like, "Yeah, it was all right." 
Like people would just be like, you just can't say a bad thing. And so for, it's so funny you say that because when, after we recorded the episode Wilder, I was like, holy shit, I don't know if I've ever been that negative about like so many movies. <laughs> like, <it was. laughs> Never. I have, I have known you for a long time and I've never heard you say anything like that. Well, I am back in full force. Five movies, liked them all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Primal Fear, I'd say for me, the only reason that it fell to the last spot would be it was well done. I was I was engaged the whole time. But while I liked the ending, I sort of saw it coming. And I know that it's a pretty it's like a talked about twist. And so the fact that I sort of saw it coming, I was like, all right, it was good, but I would, I'd never probably watch it again, but, but good movie. Definitely worth checking out if you've never seen it. Amazing cast. I mean, Richard Pierre yeah, are great. And probably one of Edward Norton's earliest, earliest films. He's young in this. Yeah. And you got a, you got a um, big old lost connection in there. Terry O'Quinn. Yeah. Wow. I'm ashamed of myself right now. I'm ashamed of myself that I didn't say it. Shout out, Jay. Wow. Shout shout out John Locke forever and ever. I watched Wilder, watched the finale of the show for his first time. It was legendary. Yeah, you watched me crumble as I watched the worst ending ever. Get the fuck out of town. (laughs) This fucking guy. Just trying to get me going. Just trying to get me going. I'm just trying to... Get you going, Bell. I know. Um, but also we've got Laura Linney and, and Francis McDormand in Primal Fear. It's, it's a fucking cast. Wow. It's a solid, cool. solid film. Yeah. Check it out. Check it out. I think it's a good number five. It's it's something that I feel like a lot of people will have seen. Yeah. Like solid. Like the pick. So this is the moment I've been waiting for. Here we go. Wow there, baby. Man's talking oh a lot of shit. Now it's time for us. I've talked so much shit. I'm so sorry. I'm going to be much nicer here on out. I swear. No, I please do it don't. because I love please you. Don't. I know. Please don't be. I want, to, I want the shit talking to continue. <laughs> oh, my God, you guys. Number five. We're in it. This is We're a here. deal. We're here. Oh, and I can't believe that I have this pick. I, it has taken me so long to see this movie. Um, 1995. Uh, directed and starred in by Mel Gibson. Number five wow. is Braveheart. No. Wow. <laughs> what? Wow. I don't know why I've never seen it. It seems like one of those things that's just kind of like always on. And it's just, it's crazy that I've never seen it. But I'm also talking to somebody who before the last episode hadn't seen either E.T. or Back to the Future. So I don't feel all that bad. Um, But if you guys will indulge me, I was so, um, I don't know why, but like motivated to write a little synopsis about this movie. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) Go for it. This is what I wrote about Braveheart. This 13th century epic is about a long locked tank top and kilt wearing hunk named William Wallace with a derivative (laughs) Scottish accent and one thing on his mind. And for once, ladies, it's not sex. Nope. This guy's got a hard-on for freedom, despite the fact that personal freedom <laughs> was not, not a realized concept in the 1300s. After the horrifying death of his wife by the vicious English, English overlords, hashtag Mike, Wallace puts, <laughs> pulls an Uncle Sam by banding together a bunch of common farmers to overthrow the Redcoats, but we're not in Kansas anymore. 
Wallace uses some brilliant military strategy, such as the old reach around, where part of his army just decides to walk to the other side of the enemy forces so that Wallace can attack them from both sides. He also uses the most powerful instrument in any Scottish arsenal, the kilt, whereupon he and his men flash those uppity sons of bitches with their shriveled Scottish peckers, rendering them completely disoriented and incapacitated. Despite this brilliant military mind and lovable charismatic bravado of its lead, the Scottish political system, led by some troll they have locked away in a tower, can't seem to unlatch itself from the teeth of their British daddy, and in doing so, they continue to betray our beloved, brilliant, and gullible hero. Again and again, we're led to believe that the country will finally unify to follow the only Scotsman with half a brain and the chest hair of a silky cashmere sweater. But again, Wallace is fooled and we're left in the exact same place that we started. <laughs> Honestly, if somehow you haven't seen Braveheart, there's no reason to watch it anymore. You could just listen to it. It's a perfect I know, summer. I did. That was pretty uh, spoiler heavy, but it's also Braveheart. And it's shocking that I haven't seen it at this point. And if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry. I just potentially spoiled it with you. But that may be my favorite little segment on the entire podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for blessing us with that. Oh, my yeah. God. Incredible. So, so Braveheart <laughs> is um, an interesting movie, and it's... Obviously, Mel Gibson is all over this thing. Um, you've just heard the synopsis. I mean, I I will say it's number five. It was not necessarily my favorite movie. Um, it's I, after doing a little research, it's riddled with hor- historical inaccuracies. And Mel Gibson just basically wanted to make a sort of like an action historical drama with a Scottish like hero. So yeah, it it wasn't particularly my favorite. Um, there are some incredible supporting cast. Like I love Brendan Gleeson. Brian Cox is in it for about 30 seconds and has a pretty incredible line. <laughs> Tommy Flanagan, James Cosmo. Um, it's, it's, a it's an interesting movie, but yeah, I just like, it's really iconic for, you know, like it's kind of lines and yelling freedom and that type of stuff. So and much I, freedom. I just, I know, and I just like couldn't get over the fact that it was like he didn't actually really do any of this. It's so funny. Like I'm sort of with you in the sense of, of I mean, I enjoy the movie, but with that said, I saw it when I was younger, and I think I've only watched it one, maybe two times since because, I mean, it's I don't think it's bad by any means. Like I I enjoy watching it. Mm-hmm. But besides the historical inaccuracies, it's, I mean, it's a good movie, but there's just other films in that vein that are, have a much higher rewatch value, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, it was sort of like, sorry, go ahead, Mike. No, no, I was just saying, I mean, yeah, like it's, it's totally fine, but it's, you know, it's very 90s. It's very corny. It's, it's fine. But like, how many times does one need to watch Braveheart? I don't know. Yeah. I will say this, though. That's such a big movie. I don't even know if I have a movie on my list bigger than that one that I haven't seen. That's a big one. And that's just what we're starting with. Yeah. I mean, and like there are some, there are things that like made me chuckle and like, it's not like horrible. And I, I mean, I am not a fan of Mel Gibson, although he has directed movies far better than this one. Mm-hmm. But uh, there, there are some moments that were good. Probably my favorite moment is like, and this is like very kind of 
I, it's it's my favorite because it's so stupid, but there's a, this relationship with the English king who is like this hard-nosed father who hates his wimpy little son who's interested in like dressing up and he's clearly gay and the fact that he has this effeminate son and, and their complicated relationship is like not <laughs> very cool. Um, <laughs> um, but I do love this moment where the son is like trying to get basically his boyfriend to be like this new member of like the like a high powered military person and the king just like tosses him out the window <laughs> i was just like oh my god this is so ridiculous so like, ridiculous like monty python <laughs> oh i'd say my favorite thing probably about the movie is the speech the speech towards the end that's like i think yeah, i might have had it three on hours list. into the film exactly right? yeah. you have like, to wait three know, hours to get there well actually the the real big speech is like an hour in, which I was surprised about. Like the speech that's really well known. Oh yeah, yeah. That okay. You're right. You're right. I, that's how long it's been since I've a seen a similar it. speech that's at the end. <laughs> but yeah, the, the it goes more freedom. It goes yeah, speech, and then it goes the flashing scene, and mm-hmm. then yeah, and then the reach around, and then <laughs> two hours of like sudden somehow he was like a. He he was like a revenge story, but all of a sudden he's a military genius. Um, and then they don't really like talk about how. They, they sort of allude to it in his childhood, but it, not really. And then they don't mention his wife for the entire second act. And not my favorite, but if you haven't seen Braveheart, it's somehow in the zeitgeist. So I don't know. Go see it if you want. I don't care. <laughs> and, and as we said, I mean, I live in the UK. That includes Scotland. Spoiler alert. It didn't work. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Well, speaking so. of speaking of movies riddled with historical inaccuracies, ah, my number five, we're going to 1987, and that is The Untouchables. Wow. Okay, it's another nice. big one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a pretty big one. Uh, it's a Brian De Palma film. I've seen many of his films. Uh, David Mamet wrote it. I've seen many of his films as well. I think why I didn't want to watch this is because. I, you know, it's all about Elliot Ness taking down uh, Al Capone and like putting aside like all the terrible things he's done. Al Capone is like kind of a cool, like cult figure, right? Like, I don't want to watch a story about some cop who does like a lot of paperwork and takes down like a, like a, a famous like gangster. Like that doesn't sound that exciting to me, which conveniently this film was not because Elliot Ness is apparently Superman. And he can take down Robert De Niro, who like barely gets any time to act in the film, which is why it's totally inaccurate because none of this fucking happened. There's like a ridiculous train shootout that lasts like 15 minutes, which is totally made up. All the action in the movie is totally made up. So shout out to you, Elliot Ness, for writing your own book and then getting it turned into a movie. I digress. (laughs) This movie is actually okay, but largely because Sean Connery is fucking awesome in it. And I'm pretty sure he actually won the Oscar. And Andy Garcia doesn't do that much until the train scene where he does a sick gun flip, which is fucking epic. And then you're like, yes, I'm down with Andy Garcia. Kevin Costner does nothing. I don't even know what he's trying to do, honestly. (laughs) Like, no offense to Kevin Costner, but, like, I don't really get what they were doing. Isn't there a long-standing, like, hatred of Kevin Costner on this podcast? We did joke joke about it once, but now I'm bringing it for real. Like, this is just, like, he didn't really do much. And then... The, the tone of this movie is kind of strange also because like at times it's like Indiana Jones level of silly and then at other times they're like murdering children and you're just like, what's happening in this film? So in the end, I would say this is okay. 
I think some of the reasons why I didn't want to watch it definitely showed, but I mean, it's, it's got too much star power not to see. Uh, so I'm definitely glad I checked it off. Yeah. It's such a bummer because Brian De Palma is such a talented filmmaker. For sure. Um, but yeah, it definitely just seems like the through line of this movie was, was sort of like missed. Like I just like, yeah, I, I felt like the, the themes and, and I just didn't yeah. understand the feeling of this movie. And, and who who would like watch Scarface and then be like, hmm, I wonder if Brian De Palma could do a film, which is the exact opposite, and one of the yeah. cops wins. It's like, no, no one wanted to see that. But this somehow a lot of people fucking saw this movie. Yeah, I feel like it was a very famous movie back then. And I, I even remember growing up, it would be on like the cable channels quite often. And yeah, like Mike, you're right. It's, it's a decent movie, but Brian De Palma, he's just had some some incredible ones and this i don't believe is one of his best no but yeah i think i think wilder won that round for sure i feel like your oh film and my film town were like on pretty similar levels of fame i mean we're not going to get close to braveheart but uh, no yeah i've probably only got one that reaches that level but we'll get there we'll get there oh, oh it's my turn i was gonna say turn. let's get there right now yeah all right my my number four. So my number four is a. Uh, it's also a thriller, and and if there's one thing that I've said I love on the podcast, I love '90s thrillers. I love just picturing you like alone in your apartment this last <laughs> week, just watching '90s thrillers, like binging <laughs> like with Keystones or something like that. It's just a great uh, image. That's a very accurate image. And so my number four, which is a little bit more fun than Primal Fear is 1992's Basic Instinct. Oh, wow. Wow. So Michael Douglas, Sharon Stone, infamously, you get quite the shot of Sharon Stone in this one. <laughs> but it's not like the rest of the movie isn't totally sleazy. It's like the sleaziest movie of all time. It really is. And that's like why I couldn't believe I hadn't seen it because it's it's no, it has this, this aura to it because of that. And it, it, it honestly, like... It was a bunch of fun. It was a lot of fun. It's just this whole film is Sharon Stone plays this author and there's a murder and it's played out exactly how it is in her book. And you're wondering the whole time, did she commit the murder or not? And it is just sleazy, sexy, all over the map. And ridiculous at points too but just a just a good old-fashioned 90s thriller trip and i fucking enjoyed the hell out of it and it's it's a it's a very it was a very famous movie in the 90s maybe yeah. is not as talked about now but i've had this one on my list for quite a while i mean i think that there's very little you know in film that is like less known than the Sharon Stone leg movement. I don't know how to properly describe <laughs> that. Um, but I guess, first of all, this is the second movie out of four that has a, a, a full-on, like, reveal. Of, and, uh, yeah, I mean, like, this, it's just been parodied, like, endlessly. So it's... And, and to give everyone that somehow hasn't seen or hasn't heard of it... Essentially, there is a scene where she is being interrogated by the police and she's sitting in a chair and 
she uncrosses her legs for a moment to switch positions and you get just a she's not wearing underwear and you get a clear shot and it was blew up the media back in the early 90s and and really was a thing for quite some time i feel like she never really shook that that image and it definitely hyped up the movie quite a bit so it was very successful made so much money at the box office and michael douglas just really seems to love these fucking erotic type thrillers he definitely yeah. does. He had, he had I quite didn't the realize that. But didn't he? He also did what's it called? Fatal Attraction. Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, what do you boys think of this movie? So I'm actually I'm not a fan. I you know we joke about like me not liking Christopher Nolan on uh-huh. the pod, but I actually don't like Paul Verhoeven. I've never got his films, and like the people that love this film, I just I don't get it at all. Like they're talking about how it's like this amazing like satire. I think it's just a terrible film. <laughs> and like the end to today, and this is not, I'm actually not exaggerating today. No, I take it back. There's, this is top two worst endings I've ever seen in a film in my entire life. Really? I, I hate the ending of this film. Really? Just like, oh, will we, will we? Nah, we won't go home. And you're like, okay, great. Why the <laughs> fuck am I here? I don't understand. I just, I don't get him as a filmmaker and that's not to be like, oh, I'm great. And he's terrible. He's just like the the one filmmaker I could point with that I just don't jive with any with his of his style. Movies. Even I, even Total Recall, I don't even like Total Recall honestly. Like it's fine, but eh, yeah. I just don't know. I will say I haven't seen this movie in a long time, but I remember really liking Hollow Man back in the day when that came out. But oh come on, no, Wilder, <laughs> I'm with you. I I was gonna say Hollow Man when that came out. I probably would have said it was my favorite movie of his. Listen, I, I Showgirls is the best movie. listen i haven't seen this in a long time so i have no idea if it holds up you know but like i remember at the time i was like oh my god that is crazy we're really getting off the off the rails but like yeah i mean he did sort of the same thing of like a creepy guy who was who you couldn't see and he was like spying on naked sleeping women like yeah Mm -hmm. he can he can add for sure a little bit of creepiness okay here is my lit- reading exactly from my letterbox review of basic instinct oh my god trashy af ridiculous littered with inconsistencies <laughs> waste so much time during the film only to deliver the worst ending in cinema history <laughs> and confirm that truly every minute you spent on this was pointless man's got a strong opinion just to confirm you didn't like it <laughs> <laughs> you thought it was okay you thought, you it, was thought it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a five-star film. That's just how I rate them. So everybody up. everyone, please tell us, do you like or not like Basic Instinct? Let us know. We want to know. Yeah. This is a is big debate. Is it only now. valid for its nudity or is there something else there that Mike and I are missing? Yeah, please, <laughs> please tell me what that is. I want to like this. <sighs> All right. Wilder, number four. Number four. Um <laughs> This is a movie I didn't even particularly like intend on watching and then was like on the couch, just kind of turned it on and I had no idea what I was in for. Um, It's sort of a poster that I've seen a lot and uh, something that I've seen on a lot of movie lists, but I didn't know anything about it and I just kind of turned it on. Um, This is Cinema Paradiso. 
Oh, nice. Any idea what this is? Mike, you've seen it. Yeah. I have not seen it, but I've heard of it and, and meant to see it. I think they just showed it at the New Bev, like last month, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. Oh, man. There's uh, the New Bev and Tarantino becomes sort of a, a – plays a part later <laughs> in my list. Oh, Ooh, um, I Yeah, but not Tarantino movies I've seen, though. Okay. Um, anyways, <laughs> um, Cinema Paradiso. I'm going to butcher all of these names. Directed by Giuseppe Tornatore. 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 Oh, that sounded better. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Tornatore. <laughs> I'm hungry now. I know, um, right? <laughs> okay, so it is about Salvatore De Vita, and it is portrayed by three different actors at three different times of his life. Um, so at age 50, Sa- uh, Toto, they call him, receives a call from his mother um, that someone named Alfredo has died, which takes him into uh, basically the story of his life at different ages. And we start out at age eight, and it's just after World War II, and he's an altar boy. His father, they assume, has died in, in World War II. They're not really sure. But he's a terrible altar boy. He's constantly pestering the priest. The priest uh, goes to the up, like, he goes to screen films at um, uh, upcoming films at the Cinema Paradiso, their local movie house. And he will hold up this little flag or whatever every time there's anything like remotely sexualized or profane. Um, so it's just kind of kind of funny. But the point is that Toto gets to hang out with the projectionist who's named Alfredo. And Alfredo has to go into the, the film prints and cut out anything, any kissing or nudity or whatever it is. And so Toto becomes kind of a friend with Alfredo. He... Toto helps Alfredo pass like an equivalent of like an adult education class. And um, Toto gets to, he keeps like the little film strips um, that are on the cutting room floor. He goes home and checks out nudity, essentially. (laughs) 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 Um, Or people kissing, which is the people in the town that I've never seen. And then Alfredo goes on to teach Toto how to work the projector and one night there's a horrible accident that blinds Alfredo um, and he can't work anymore. And they fix up the, the cinema Paradiso and Toto ends up running the projector at eight years old. They cut to him as a teenager, maybe about 10 years later. Um, he's still managing the movie house and he's convinced um, the owner to open up another place. And they, there's kind of this hilarious scene where they, they get like this guy on a bike route to like, like back and forth the film strips and um and and then you start to realize like what this movie theater like what the place that it serves in the town like people just are escape here they live there they're they're sleeping there they're getting drunk people are having sex in the theater little kids are <laughs> oh my god little kids are just being reckless and um it, there's i think there's a hooker operating in the back of the room um even toto ends up having sex with the hooker on the floor of uh, of the theater. Okay, Toto. Um, it's sort of like a, you know, like basically this is what's on Toto's mind at the time is that there's a lot of sex going on. Um, and this is where he meets Elena and he's he's trying to court her and she plays coy and he, you know, is very persistent essentially. You know, he's low class, she's high class, family takes her away, he has to do mandatory military service and so they're separated. Um, it's this pretty long on long drawn out love story, but it took me a little bit of thinking 
to figure out like kind of what that love story was. And at the end, you realize that it's a lot about this relationship between this kid Toto and as he grows up and this guy Alfredo and how he's mentored him and, and how there's, you know, betrayal and, and all these great things, but it's this just kind of drawn out love story. And it takes a little bit because the Toto and Elena, Elena, they don't necessarily end up together, even though that's a little complicated. Spoiler alert. Sorry. I should have done that beforehand. How dare you? Sorry. Um, but I have to say this was one of the greater endings I have seen in a movie. I wouldn't say it's like my favorite movie of all time or anything, but the ending is so fantastic. And I, I really love that portion of it. I have two big problems with this movie in that this is the second three hour long movie that I watched. Um, <laughs> and also I didn't love the score, which was done by Ennio Morricone. Um, legend. Yeah. And so I know that's really blasphemous, but I did a little research and I found out that there's this love theme, which is the problem that I really had with this movie, that it's a, uh, it's just like really laid on really heavy, this like love between these two characters and, and, it just was so long and I, I, I kind of just got like really over it. Mm -hmm. um, just laid on too thick. And also, well, yeah, I mean, it, it just was three hours long. So after that, I don't usually have a problem with <laughs> super long movies, but that got to me. Um, but I did find out that there is a, a shorter cut to this movie, um, which honestly might solve both of those issues. So. Ooh. I would recommend if you are interested in this because I did love it a lot. If you can find the cut that's like, I think two and a half hours, go for that. Instead, instead of, of a straight three. And especially for three. a guy that, I mean, his first two movies off the list, both three hour movies, this, yeah. is, this is a lot of movie. Yeah, I'm it was with, a lot of movie. I'm with you though. Like I actually, I really love a three hour movie if it is, if it's warranted. But if it's, if there's a little bit of excess in there, then I mean, I'd rather it get trimmed out. Yeah. I, I, and I think so. The three hour cut, I'm pretty sure, is like it's it's not the most commonly shown cut. Let's put it that way. I think the the normal one, like if you found it, would be the two and a half hour. I think there's even a shorter one. Is what is the longest one a director's cut or something? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. It is. They did it after after the theatrical release. Yeah. They did this one. And, okay, and this was long and. That's not to say that it was bad. It was just like the second act. I I just thought dragged on a little bit too much with the story between Toto and Elena. And this is this comes back to talking about Rory and oh the um and the crying thing because I have this huge thing. All of the other movies that are on my list, which I'll figure it out. I'll put it in the in notes or something like that. Um, but they all have to do with like family or father son relationships, and so it's this is something that I thought of like instantly after the movie, but such a cool story. And, and this kid gets out of his small town in Sicily and is able to go on and, and become successful. And so I, I thought it was really cool. I think somewhat personal look into the director and, and, um, and just really beautiful the way that, the, the way they finish it off. And it's Italy, it's Southern Italy. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, absolute uh, endorsement from me as well. I think I'm even a little bit higher on it than you are. I think it's a great film. And I I would say the soft spot for me here is I just love films about film. 
So, yeah, you already spoke about like what the cinema means, but then also, um, you know, the process of of making film and kind of following your dreams and doing that. I, I really, really enjoyed this one. Yeah, go for the two and a half hour one, but it's super good. And yeah, the, the process of filmmaking becomes such a huge portion of it. And, and you see that he really has a talent early on. Um, and then I guess that's sort of like the lesson that he has to learn from Alfredo is, you know, not getting distracted, following your dreams, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. Let me, uh, my number four is... Uh, a pretty big one and definitely a glaring a glaring one for me that i've been meaning to see for forever and that is 1963's the birds <laughs> oh you my not, god you do not know how relevant this is to this episode you have no idea oh my god i can't believe you said this what's movie. happened oh my god. oh my god what did i do wilder has a deathly deathly fear of birds I have a massive fear of birds and a huge portion of the reason for my fear of birds is because of this movie. (laughs) Wait, I have to tell you, my mother cannot even be near birds and it's because she saw this film when she was younger. Yeah, I mean, I have two stories of why I hate birds, but this was an insane reason why. And you can talk about, you can go to the synopsis, but there is a scene that I, I feel like it constantly haunts me of, of um, what's her name? Uh, Tippi Hedren. Tippi Hedren. She's in like an addict or something. And there's just oh all God. these birds in there. But she and, could just open the door. I don't understand. <laughs> she could just open the door. I think the part that scares me is that I know what happened in the filming of this. And basically she was in that room with some fake birds and some real birds. And Hitchcock and she was just supposed to be freaking out with these birds. And Hitchcock just start kept throwing live birds at her. He was like actually tormenting her. Dear <laughs> yeah. Lord. Before I just jump into the synopsis, we should just mention Hitchcock, great filmmaker, not always a great person. And that's that's particularly sad for me. He's one of my favorite filmmakers, absolute favorites. Um, enough to where he he gave me a pretty intense fear for the rest of my life. I like this movie so much. Um, but yeah, I I haven't even done a huge deep dive on to his personal doings, and I'm not sure I would love what I would find. You would not. You would not. You've, you've given us a taster, and it's, trust me, you're on the right path. Yeah. Yeah, so Hitchcock, obviously, you know, I love horror films. Um, I love animal attack films. We just talked about it on our 50th. So uh, I, I, I genuinely don't know why I didn't see this. I just think Hitchcock has a lot of fucking films, you know, and I've seen a fair portion of them, but like you can only invest so much time in it. And I just never got around to this one. So it is it, unsurprisingly, it's, it's quite good. I don't I don't know that it's really great. And I actually I think some of the ratings that I saw were I kind of thought that it was uh, the consensus was a little bit higher than it was. So, but it's definitely a good film. I'm, I didn't find anything like super scary about the birds effects wise in terms of like what they were able to pull off. I thought it was great, but I just, something about birds is like, they're not, they're not like ferocious. It's not like a bear and it's not like, you know, like gross or something like maybe spiders. Like it has that creepy crawly factor. It just didn't really, I think if I saw it as a kid, I'd be a lot more scared than I was today. Um, The only other thing I'll say is that 
I kind of had the same feeling about another film we've talked about, Rebecca, that I just think Hitchcock is so good at like romance that sometimes when I'm watching his films, I don't even really even want them to become horror films. And that's how I felt with this one. The first half hour is such a fun, like flirtatious, like meet cute type thing. And we see that play out. And then you're like, yeah, I kind of just want to see this movie. And then it becomes a bird movie. And it's like, it was, it was very good, but like sometimes he's too good at that stuff for his own good. I would say. Well, he's the master of suspense, which is the, the great thing about this movie. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many moments where like birds are just populating. Yeah. And oh like, god. oh my god, what it's just sort of like this constant thing where you're like, what the fuck is going to happen for the entire episode? Um, and so I yeah, I mean like it's just uh it's <laughs> I don't know, I have a very intense connection to this movie, obviously, but I saw it when I was younger too and and um, I just have always hated birds. So that was, that was intense. But I think that like Rod Taylor is great and Tippi Hedren is so amazing sure. in this movie. Um, it's got one of the best uh, Hitchcock cameos. Um, it's just, it, and then it's just, it's like, what the fuck? There's no explanation to why all the birds are there and, and how they get out, but they somehow do. And it's, it, it, to me, that's terrifying, but unknowing. But you know how they get out? They just get in their car and drive away. Like it's yeah, not that it's not that scary to me, you know. Yeah, just go inside. But they could be back at any moment. That's the terrifying thing about birds. You don't know where they're coming from. You don't know when they're gonna attack. But they're it's just coming for you, though. Oh they're God. coming for it's you. Just a bird. It's it just matter. a bird. Birds I cannot get over this. Very capable. They're very capable, oh, and they they're coming to get you. <laughs> I truly can't get over this because there could not have been a funnier movie for you to call out, Mike. Like with with the, this is just unbelievable. I just, I'm I'm glad, and it is super strange. Like yeah, like my mom, she can't even be near a bird my entire life, and yeah, I've just I, I don't know why I didn't jump and see this movie right away just to like torment her. That seems like something <laughs> a young version of me would do. But anyway, here we go. It sounds like a little bit of Norman Bates in you. Hashtag we all go a little crazy. I'll, I'll give you guys a little teaser for for when we finally do this series on the Patreon. There's actually a massive Hitchcock film that I've been meaning to watch and never have. I was gonna do it psycho? for this. I'm not telling you. And <laughs> vertigo. I was gonna do it for this, and I just got lazy because it wasn't anywhere for free, and I was able to get a ton of movies for free. But if you subscribe to the Patreon, you'll get to hear about the massive Hitchcock movie that I've never seen. Spoiler alert, it's Rebecca. <laughs> it's North by Northwest. We already know. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Number three. True. This is hilarious because it was going to be on this list today no matter what. And that's because even without us discussing our favorite movies, I knew that this was a big one. For a while there. He's always said how much he loves this movie to me. And I'm a really big fan of the director of this movie. But somehow had not seen it. And that is 1964's Dr. Strangelove. Or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. (laughs) Yes. Oh my God. How are you so obsessed with 2001 and have never seen Dr. Strangelove? (laughs) I know. I don't know is the question. (laughs) I do not know. And of like, I very strangely 
for like, there's only a, well, I don't want to say only a few, but, but Kubrick is probably my second favorite director. And for loving a director so much, there's a few of his big ones that I haven't seen, which, which is very rare of me. Like most of the directors I love, I've seen almost every single film. Kubrick obviously doesn't have too many films, so I should have seen them all. This was the most glaring omission. I'm not going to give the others because I want to save it for future episodes, but this was the most glaring. And I've been meaning to you forever. This was the perfect opportunity. I wanted to be able to to talk to you guys about it. And it was fucking great. And, and Wilder, can I just say, before I even get into it, it was such a treat thinking of your love for it because I feel like so much of your sense, so much of your style of humor, I can tie to this film. If that makes sense to you, I feel like we have similar senses of humor, but I can see very specifically how this could just make you chuckle the entire time. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you're saying that, um, I am a lot like the, absolute genius that is stanley kubrick yeah, totally. <laughs> well that's obviously uh, what i'm saying obviously um, yeah um, without question why don't you tell the people a little bit about this movie yes so you know i'm going to give you guys sort of the main people in it so it's got peter sellers is in there we've got george c scott sterling hayden keenan Wynn, slim pickens directed by stanley kubrick written by him along with with two other guys terry southern and peter george and it, 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 this movie is fucking hilarious. So it's it's like a it's like a black comedy and pretty much it's a satire of the Cold War. And so there's fear that there's going to be like a nuclear conflict between the Soviet Union and the United States and it starts out with there's this this like fucking nutty Air Force general in in the U.S. who orders a nuclear attack on the Soviet Union. And so then one piece of the film is you've got this guy who has locked himself in his office with... um, Brig Brig General Jack D. Ripper, played by Sterling Hayden. There you go. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) So they're in this office. Then you've got you've got the war room at the Pentagon and you've got the president in there, some other, some other people, including Dr. Strangelove. And for the most part, we bounce between these two locations throughout the film, but it just, what's so interesting and while I'm going to need your help on this a little bit, because I feel like you eloquently will describe some things about the film. But what I loved about the movie is I'm not the biggest satire or parody. I mean, this isn't a parody, but parody or satire type film guy. And Kubrick somehow just does satire in this movie in a way that I feel like no other filmmaker has done before or after. It's so perfectly done and so funny that I... I was very impressed because of the fact that I knew going in, okay, it's Kubrick. It's got to be fucking great. It's not necessarily my my style of movie, but one of the things I love the most about Kubrick is how much he jumped around genre-wise 
and he just fucking kills it every time. And and this is no different. But Wilder, go go into it a little bit more for me because I yeah, I mean, you just I feel like know the ins and out of this so well from seeing it multiple times. Yeah, to to add on to what you were alluding to is that Kubrick can take things like The Shining and 2001 and a novel called Red Alert and change them into something completely his own and is one of the only people that adapts books and turns them into something that's better than the original. Mm-hmm. A, or, or completely different than the original. But still amazing. Um, but still amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, this is just a dark comedy and it's so dry. But it's one of those things, much like every other Kubrick movie, I, for the most part, the more you watch it, the more you notice, the more it either like torment, torments you or like makes you just like belly laugh or whatever it is. He, he is so good at that. Um, I have to mention Peter Sellers plays three characters with some of three of like some of the best names I've ever heard on film. <laughs> Group Captain Lionel Mandrake, Dr. Strangelove, and President, this is my favorite one, President Merkin Muffley, <laughs> which is an unbelievable name for a movie. And he was also supposed to play Slim Pickens' character, Major King Kong, but I guess he was worried about timing or being able to take all that on. But Slim Pickens just crushes that role mm-hmm. he's so great the I names mean, are absurd in this movie yeah i mean even slim pickens which is his real name his real name yeah. i know <laughs> um james earl jones is in it um yeah and then you have both george c george c scott and sterling hayden who are so funny who are like just these like macho military types who both of them could have been like the crazy the crazy one in this movie it happens to fall on sterling hayden's role um, for General Jack D. Ripper, mm-hmm. but um, they're just so obnoxious and like they're like I thought. Actually, we talked about Dune earlier. I thought that Sterling Hayden was like had read Dune too many times and he was talking about stealing the body's water. So if I know I, I'm probably lost a few people there, but that's like a big <laughs> thing in Dune. Um, <laughs> um, George C. Scott as General Buck Turgeson is just unbearably funny and like. Kubrick is, is better than any other director at creating scale. His movies just like look bigger and more important. And he's like, just has these unbelievable camera work. And then the characters are so incredible. And so this, it's just one of those movies though, the more you watch it, the more you realize the funnier the lines are. And then you start to follow along and you're just really into it. And so this would be, I don't know if I'm bearing the lead here on anything in the future, but this is probably in my top five of movies. I'm I'm so obsessed with this movie, and I'm a big fan of Kubrick, but I think this one probably tops it. I will definitely echo what you said. I think all Kubrick movies need to be watched more than once to really fully appreciate them. And I will also add that there's, while it may not be the first thing you think of when you hear of Kubrick, he has elements of satire in, in probably nearly all of his films as well. And they all get funnier depending on sort of the perspective that you take when you're watching them. So he's he's definitely well versed and skilled um, in that way that you can see in other films. Can I also just say that this just adds to the list of legendary movies that James Earl Jones is in? The man <laughs> just what can you say? He just don't stop. Guy can do it all. He really he really can. But Doctor Strangelove, 
I knew this one would strike a nerve with Wilder. So glad to glad to get it in there. Finally, knock it off the list, and it was a treat as expected. Yeah, well, I can't wait for your second watch. Give me give me a shout when that happens. I absolutely will. I'm I'm very <laughs> excited to keep to keep rewatching Kubrick's films. Are always some of my favorite rewatches. Yeah, he's unbelievable. Um, I want to give a little shout out to like the documentary they did on The Shining, and that's like just kind of shows you the level of detail they have on the back, like just what he puts into all of his movies and those things. Room two thirty seven, eh? Yeah, I mean, I still got to watch. It's it. incredible. Oh yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's on. It's free on YouTube or something like that. Like, oh my god, okay, I didn't even know that, that. movie was literally built to torment you. It's crazy. Anyways, he's he's an interesting guy. He is indeed. He is indeed. And you're an interesting guy. And you're going to give us your number three right now. Great. Well, let's just roll on into the next one. Because my next movie was from 1977, directed by John Flynn. Um, and that's Rolling Thunder. Did you get that rolling segue? I see. And I have to say, I've not seen Rolling Thunder. I haven't either. Oh, I... I thought Mike might have seen this one. I kind of got the feeling the town hadn't. But <laughs> was it pre two thousand? So no. Yeah, yeah, nineteen seventy seven. It's uh, it's way before his time. <laughs> <laughs> um, this movie, holy shit! It is not three hours long. It's so incredible. Ooh. Um, yeah, I loved this movie. Um, I heard about it. This is where I was talking about the Tarantino through line. Yeah, it's one of I his heard about it. favorites. Yeah, this is one of his favorites, and I just heard him talking about it kind of endlessly forever, and so I wanted to check it out. And it is about um, some POWs returning from uh, the... <laughs> where are they returning from? Um, no. The Vietnam War. There we go. <laughs> They're returning from the Vietnam War... Um, back to San Antonio, Texas. They obviously are getting like a hero's welcome. And the main character is Charlie, played by Bill Devane. Um, he returns to his wife and his son. He's awarded with a sil- silver dollar for each day that he was a prisoner. Um, and he's given like a new red Cadillac, which kind of becomes this like cool, interesting car the rest of the, the rest of the movie. Wait, I, I love I love that actor, William Devane. Oh yeah, Will, yeah, William Devane. I fucking Devane. love he's, him. You have you will recognize him like any he's he's just in like twenty four. A lot of stuff. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, man, yeah. what a fucking guy. Okay, yeah. I love. He this. is the man. Um, so when he comes back, it's been seven years. His wife has accepted a new marriage proposal from another man, the cop in town, and and they like know each other, um, and he's basically meeting his son for the first time. But he handles it pretty responsibly, <laughs> all things considered. Um, he just wants to be there for his son. He kind of understands that his wife is, has her life to lead. And like she couldn't you know, wait around for seven years. That's a long time. Um, and, and so I'm sort of like surprised by this like tortured, brutalized war hero that's been in a POW camp who's able to kind of be that level-headed. Um, and, and then one day he comes home and there's men there that are coming to – they've they want to steal the silver dollars uh, that he was awarded. They, um, they're they trying to rob him. They ultimately shoot him, kill his wife and son, and then he loses his hand in a brutal way that I will leave 
for you guys to see when you ultimately see this movie because you really should. I am 100% um, going to watch it. Yeah. And then from there, I don't even want to want to ruin too much, but uh, it, it just takes off on sort of a revenge plot. And it's really, really fascinating. It is such an incredible amount of character work um, mixed with like really, really good action. Um, the the two characters, so I, I didn't even mention that Tommy Lee Jones is the other war hero that's in it. Wow. Um, and they are so great in this movie. Um, they're so sort of like ro- robotic and reserved, but in in like this really interesting way. And like if they act out anymore, all this crazy emotion from the torment that they had when they were at the Vietnam War is just going to spill out of them. Um, and so you're just like, sort of like watching them a little bit on edge, but like keeping it together as much as they can. Um, and it just, it's incredible to see what they do with that. They're, they're really, really talented actors. And this was an insane movie. Absolutely would recommend. I mean, you've sold me. Tarantino loves it. It's like a thriller and my man, William Devane in the lead role. I'm sold. Yeah, and you can't go wrong with Tommy Lee Jones. And it was written by Paul Schrader just after Taxi Driver. And so it goes into that whole theme of, of um, you know, post-Vietnam movies uh, that he put out. Um, it, was, it was really solid. It's been immediately, while you were describing it, added to my list. Yeah, it's, it's definitely on mine as well for the same reason that I've heard QT talk about it a few times. Um, I absolutely have to get to it. And I know, I know that I'm going to love it. It's just everything about it seems like something yeah. I would love. You, there's, there's like, I, it's just such a great setup for a movie. And I, they get into these characters. And it was sort of like, uh, Mike, what you were saying last time, there was like, um, you get through this first portion of the movie and you're like, man, I kind of don't want this to end. And then it changes directions. Um, and, but that becomes really interesting as well. So. Okay. Well, great choice for number three. Um, yes. I will close Very out our good. threes with the movie I'm, I'm quite sure both of you will have seen. And that is from 1987. And that is The Princess Bride. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, my God. <laughs> Are you afraid of The Princess Bride? Are you afraid of princesses? I'm not afraid of. Uh, no, thank God I, I am not afraid of Princess Bride or princesses because I have a lot of princesses in my life. <laughs> oh wow this is a big That's one a big Mike. one very very big um i i got a bit scientific toward the top of my list and started looking at like things with like the most number of reviews and stuff like that because last time i really limited myself to just sci-fi so Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Princess Bride is a, is a fantasy film. That's why I've never seen it. I'm not huge on fantasy stuff. Uh, but it's Rob Reiner. It's written by William Goldman. So I, I kind of thought that I'd be in good hands, you know. Oh, my God. And it gives you guys a chance to pronounce your favorite actor's name. Gary Oh, my God. It kills me. What is that guy's name? God damn it. We'll never know. We'll literally never so know. So it stars Kiri Elwes. We'll go with that. <laughs> but also Christopher Guest in like kind of a, a rare role in, in a sense. But most importantly, Andre the Giant. Let's be clear. That's the only thing I want to talk about in this movie is Andre the Giant. Oh. It's, it's just love that he's in it. He's ridiculously charming and is barely able to speak English. 
also if you haven't seen the the andre the giant doc on hbo you should absolutely watch that whether you like wrestling um or not but yeah i this film is i had a lot more fun with this than i thought i did truly it's it's really funny um it really kind of flies by it has great great energy um to it and there's yeah there's great characters i mean you're rooting for really like four or five separate characters throughout the whole thing um there's kind of kind of equal parts played at different times to all their stories but but yeah it's it's you know it 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 really works i could see why everybody likes it and why it kind of became a cult film because it's just a fun you know light breezy watch and really sort of like so against type for William Goldman to write a movie like this. It's it's literally just like Misery. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's just, it was so great. I, I think Peter Falk is like also incredibly charming in this. And then you got Fred Savage. He's amazing. Oh my Shout God, yeah, of course. Yeah, Wallace Shawn, uh, I mean, has one of the most Wallace recognizable voice. lines in all all the film he's still i mean inconceivable is still like one of the most repeated quotes ever mm-hmm. oh my mm-hmm. god mandy patinkin the guy on, yes. on his search for the guy with six uh six fingers a six fingered man yeah. they're just some incredible lines in this i'm actually do a rewatch at this point because i don't think i've watched it since maybe college it's been a while so I'm, I'm a little bit hazy, even though I've watched it very many times growing up. But it's a fucking, it's it's an absolute. It's so concept. great, and I we can't get through this movie without also mentioning Billy Crystal. Of course, yes. of course, that would be a crime not to. <laughs> Miracle Max, that's his name. Billy Crystal. I mean, it's just man. This this was a this was quite the quite the watch, Mike. This was a good one. Yeah, I'm very excited that you finally watched it. And I, I understand your kind of uh, disdain for fantasy other than like a few movies. They're, they are tricky to be good, for sure. That's a great way of putting it. They're, they're tricky. Yeah, it's hard to get it right because the border between like cool and incredibly lame is like so thin between fantasy movies. So, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, should we say Expelliarmus and move on? Oh, wow. wow right over to number two (laughs) well my number two is a pretty big movie not that big but this for me on my list was the one that had been staring me in the face the longest i've been meaning to watch this for god knows how long and it finally happened. I, I truly would say for for a couple reasons, this was just one that I really had wanted to see because I'd heard such good things from friends. It finally happened, and that is 1998's The Thin Red Line. Oh, okay, nice. So written and directed by Terrence Malick. When he did this, it was his first film in 20 years. So he'd taken quite a break, and of course he's... He's done quite a few since this this one, but it is it's based on a 1962 novel, also called The Thin Red Line. It was written by James Jones. There also was a 1964 film, but this does not really have much relation to that. 
but it's 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 an epic it's like an epic war film it's about three hours long the cast is fucking ridiculous it's got sean penn i might butcher his last name you boys maybe can can fix it for me but jim jim caviezel you nailed it yes um we've got we've got adrian brody woody harrelson john cusack we've even got a a short little role by george clooney um nick nolte of course is is great in this john c Riley, john travolta can i give you a little little bit of trivia about the cast please this was kind of an intense movie um in, in the filming portion of it and uh Adrian Brody goes in to this movie and into the film's premiere thinking that he is the lead of this movie. And after the premiere realizes that he has almost been completely cut out of the entire movie. Fucking cold. Yeah, I know. That's what you get when your director is just kind of a, I don't know, a shut-in, a hobbit. I don't want to talk shit on Terrence Malick, but he just like doesn't, he doesn't really come out. He's kind of like, no, a hundred percent. And like, there was even, I'm trying to think, do you know Wilder? I'm going to try to get it up right now. There were certain actors that were completely cut from the movie. Oh, it was, you know who it was? It was Mickey Rourke, Bill Pullman, mm-hmm. and Lucas Haas. All three of them filmed scenes that were just cut, straight up cut. Their, their characters were just not in the movie. Which, yeah, I mean, and, and, like, that's not uncommon for people to be cut out of movies, but those are pretty big names. Yeah. But, like, yeah. I, I, it's just sort of, like, this really sad Hollywood insider story of, like, Adrian Brody showing up to the premiere thinking he's still the lead of the film. Dude. He hasn't seen it. Oh, my God. And he's not even in it. And, like, Jim Caviezel's taking his place. It's so sad. Yeah. So sad for him. And and also just a couple more names I need to shout from it. Jared Leto. Oh yeah. I hope I get this name right because he's he's got a pretty big role in the film, so I feel like we need to sh- shout him out. Elias Codius, Coteus. You you guys know this guy if you see yeah, him. I don't I don't know if any of us really know how to say his name. No. Yeah, it's yeah. no. me, but and... he sounded really good. <laughs> yeah, but this movie. It's so Terrence Malick. I've I've always like sort of struggled with his films a bit. I really like at times how ab- abstract they can be, certain ones, and I also love sort of his visual take on movies and how much he incorporates sort of the scenery and the the visuals into what he's trying, the story he's trying to tell, or the themes he's trying to convey. And I thought this was just such an interesting movie. It's not necessarily your traditional war movie, but I really enjoyed watching it. You know, it really touched upon, it it takes place during World War II and uh, it's part of the Guadalcanal campaign over in the Pacific, sort of in the, in the Japan area I don't even know if I want to go into the plot that much because I sort of feel not like it ruins it at all, but I feel like all of his movies are just an experience that you just go in and watch it. Like, I I feel like I've given you this insane cast and it's a war film that tells a bit more the story of the soldier and what they mentally go through during war 
than there being necessarily a plot that's extremely important. But it, it just, I don't know, man. I really, I don't know if it lived up to the incredible hype that I built it up in my mind, but I really enjoyed it. And I also never, never dislike a score by Hans Zimmer. But yeah, I thought it was good. Have, have you guys both seen this? You know, I haven't seen it since I was like a teenager, though. Okay. It's definitely worthy of a rewatch. So it's been a long time. It's been a long time for me as well. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is something I remember actually like studying a little bit back in school. And like, it's, he is, he's a pretty amazing filmmaker aside from maybe a couple of his movies, particularly the more recent ones. Um, mm-hmm. Agreed. But yeah, I mean, I think that. It was interesting that he took so much time off. I think that was um, a much needed uh, a break that he needed for his own um, <laughs> kind of health, I guess you could say. Um, but uh, this this movie was kind of a cool like return to form, and I I, I remember liking it a lot. But um, yeah, probably needs a rewatch. And I, I will say that his later team up with uh, with Chivo and like what they were able to do behind the camera is like some of the most beautiful stuff in the world. But yeah, I mean, it wasn't quite in this movie yet. Yeah, I would say I feel like if war films are interesting, I feel like some people just do not like war films and some people fucking love them. I, funny enough, am someone that's a bit in the middle. I like them, but I'm not like obsessed with them. But I just I think this is a very worthy watch. To me, this is maybe his most famous film. I'm not saying it's his best, but it might be his most famous I think the tree of life probably tops that one. I think. Yeah, for fame. And I think that's the one that he'll be remembered remembered for. I think that movie was really good. It's but. so insane. That's definitely the most like, if you really want to get a taste of what Terrence Malick's all about, you watch the tree of life. Recently, but like his old stuff. Dude, Badlands. Days, Badlands days of Heaven. Days of Heaven. That, that stuff is not at all, I think, like his, his latter stuff. So. True. But it's also really, really good. Thin Red Line, honestly, might be sort of the middle ground between his old stuff and his new stuff. It definitely is a bit of a transition period, for sure. Yeah, but, like, he's a fantastic filmmaker, and, like, he has two different versions of his career, and he's one of the only people where where you have good parts of both. Mm -hmm. Although, I will say, after Tree of Life, I don't think that he's particularly made a great film. I agree with you. But that's it. Thin Red Line. Check it out. Well worth a watch. Okay. That, that leads to me, I think, that's, right? That is you. Yes. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Number two um, is the 1994 film directed by Wong Kar Wai or Kar Wai Wong. I don't. I couldn't, I couldn't figure out what the proper way to say it. it just... This has been a theme of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, this is Chunking Express. And I'm not sure if you guys have ever seen this movie. but I actually haven't either. No, I have not. So what motivated me to watch this movie is that one of my favorite movies of all time is, is a later movie he did called In the Mood of Love that I think was in 2001, I want to say. Yes, you've told me you love that movie. Yeah, it, it, I think it's a masterpiece. And Chunking Express is also... A really, really amazing movie. And as a little aside, he, he has this um, cinematographer named Christopher Doyle um, who does the first half of this movie. Um, and Christopher Doyle 
does an Anthony Bourdain episode in Hong Kong where he kind of shows you his old stomping grounds and everything, everywhere he used to go um, with Wong Kar Wai and everywhere they used to film. And that's a pretty fascinating, um, fascinating watch for anyone that likes Ooh. Anthony Bourdain. But uh, this movie, I, I really loved it a lot. It gets back, it gets me back into like the love, sorry, the love story um, aspect of, of my list, I guess. And it's a movie that's broken up into two parts with a very loose thread uh, between them um, that essentially has two cops who fall in love um, with, uh, with another woman. And, and I'm not sure if I necessarily want to go too deep in, into the synopsis of this movie, but um, it's beautifully shot and he's really, um, he's really influenced into or by like French New Wave so there's a lot of like particularly Godard influences in this and the way that he films it and it's very fast paced um and, and I guess what little I'll say is that it the, the first story has a cop and a, basically a drug smuggling woman who wears this blonde wig she the woman um is played by Bridget Lin who is an absolute legend in um Chinese films um, and th- I think this is a big por- part of her career w- where she was able to shift into a, a different phase. And I think it was a pretty big movie for her. Um, and then the next one is, uh, um, a, a cop and a woman and the woman essentially like breaks into his house and like cleans shit up and like does nice things for him <laughs> to like get over a breakup, which is like an interesting concept. And, uh, the woman in the second story is played by Fei Wong, who's like a massive, massive um uh like pop star oh wow so yeah um so it's interesting like the you have these two pretty famous women um who are are playing like not at all on type of like what you'd expect their career to go um and so it was an interesting interesting to see them in those roles and then both the guys um are pretty big in in like martial arts and, and yeah, th- those types of films. Um, I think uh, this one guy, Takeshi, oh my God, I'm going to butcher this so bad. Takeshi Kenshiro was in the movie um, Hero, which is one of, it's definitely up there on one of my favorite movies. Um, but just a super, super cool movie. Um, and uh, they ha- they have these really cool, like, any music motif that is used throughout um, that it is used like to introduce characters as obstacles. Um, it, it's used as an annoyance as, and as evidence of a love between them. And it's really, I can't say enough good things about it. I, other than I hope you watch it and I hope you watch a lot of Wong Kar Wai's movies because I think that he is unbelievable. And I'm, I'm a little bummed that it took me so long to watch this movie. You know, what Wilder. And I, I'm going to say this now just because I feel like it'll be more impactful talking about it with you, but I watched In the Mood for Love this week. Oh, my God. And it's not your number one? No, because not because it wasn't a great movie, by the way, just because I felt like I wanted to talk about movies that were a little bit more well-known, but this is a perfect reason to be able to talk about it. Well, let's just talk about it then. Yeah, let's talk that's... about it. So he, so okay. So the movie. By the way, the two leads are fantastic. 
just just fucking fantastic. And it was like, dude, such such an enjoyable watch for me. I'm I don't want to ruin certain things about the movie, but it was it's very like understated and sort of subtle to an extent. But I felt like you're watching like you really are like I know this might sound like pretentious or whatever, but you're watching sort of such an art art piece, I feel like while you're watching it. And like the even like the colors in the film and whatnot, I feel like every choice that he makes in it has purpose. And it, it I feel like we can't really talk about the ending, can we? No, I mean, like the thing is, his movies are, yeah, I mean, like in the mood for love, I really think is will go down as just like one of the greatest movies of the 21st century so far. And then I think it'll be high up on the list of all movies. I think that it's so well shot. Again, it's done by, I think Crystal Doyle does that one again. I, God, I feel <laughs> not so sure now, but I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, just can we look that up? Yeah, it was Crystal yes, Doyle yes. along with uh, a couple other people. And it's shot so beautifully. And then it's just this story of, a culture that we just are so unfamiliar with mm-hmm. um, uh, and about the politeness and it's a different time too. Um, and it's just these people who, who are experiencing such an incredible amount of pain by their spouses being with, <laughs> how do I, how do I put this? Um, the lead character, lead actors, um, character's wife is sleeping with the lead actress's character's wife, husband. And they live next door to each other. And they live next door to each other. And then they start to fall in love. But they are the responsible ones. They're doing like what society expects of them. And they have such an intense relationship. But it never progresses past a certain point. Uh, and, and then maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. We'll leave that up to you for you guys to go see it. Because uh, it, it, you really should. Um, but they it just gets to this like incredible, really incredible ending. Like I, I mentioned um, cinema Paradiso being like an insane ending, but uh, in the mood for love, I think has, has got such a powerful story and, and like just leaves you with like a really, really incredible lesson. It has a very big lasting impression that I haven't gotten from any other movies that I've watched. And that was very special. I thought about it. Definitely keeps you thinking. It's one of those movies that's so great that it's like days afterwards. Um, just keeps you thinking about it for, for so long. That's honestly, in my experience, just having watched it a few days ago, that has been my experience where I finished it. And I was like, oh, that was good. And then I was like, the next day I was like, I can't stop thinking about how that, mo- like sort of how that movie played out. And then it's just continually each passing day had sort of a bigger impression on me and i'm like wow like yeah i mean well check out the movies wonka why it's i mean it's funny because he does like these massive epic movies that are not particularly to my liking and then he did chunking express he was in the middle of making this incredible epic and he was like just all kind of foggy brained and and he needed some sort of like creative release or something during the filming. So he spent 23 um, days filming Chunking Express and it worked. He was able to kind of go back and and finish the other movie. I was really proud of it, but Chunking Express is the one that's like kind of the lasting um, movie out of that process. It was like an insane little exercise that he did, which turned out something so incredible. Dude, well, this, what I was getting at pretty much with the fact that I watched 
that I watched in the mood for love is I'm definitely on board for Chunking Express now because I definitely want to see some more of his works. Yep. Check it out. Mikey too. Definitely will. Yeah, I absolutely will. Okay. My number two is a movie that I didn't quite realize how popular it was until I was just looking at just the sheer number of sort of ratings across the review sites. And it's, it's a more recent film. It's from 2010. I can say why I didn't see this, but it's, it's a totally stupid reason. I just should have seen it a long time ago. And that's Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Uh-huh. All right. Well, that has. I think it's okay to wait on that movie. But same. I'm glad you saw it. <laughs> same, but it has become this like crazy cult classic. It really has, and it's like always in the most popular films on Letterbox, which is like films from the last two weeks, and then Scott Pilgrim. Like this is always there, and it has just hundreds of thousands of ratings. So I'll confess that I just saw this in the past year as well. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. So it's directed by, I'm not sure how to say this, Edgar Wright. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. Edgar Wright. <laughs> it's, uh, so it's Edgar Wright. Um, and what else has he done? Is he? I don't really know. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't even know. It's, it's, um, yeah, so I, I, I think what happened with this, which makes no sense, is that I kind of thought that this movie was Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Like I knew that they were separate <laughs> movies. But like in my mind, I didn't really know why they were different at all. Um, and so I just never saw it. But um, obviously Edgar Wright's a great filmmaker um, and he's made many, many good films. Uh, so this one is a, well, I'm sure everybody knows what this is, but it's about someone named Scott Pilgrim. End of, end of synopsis. Mm-hmm. Um, it, has, it has a great cast. Michael Sarah, Kieran Culkin is like kind of great in it and he like doesn't get, doesn't get a lot of love. But Chris Evans, Anna Kendrick... On and on and on and on. Jason Schwartzman throwing it out there. And yeah, I mean, I knew that this movie was going to be like some I saw it style, some I call it decoration, but it, it certainly was going to have a lot going on um, in terms of its video game ness and comic book ness. Uh, Wikipedia wants me to call that transmedia, if that, if that <laughs> means anything to any of you. But yeah, what I, I guess what I didn't really appreciate was, you know, how great sort of the editing would be and and how funny it would be overall. Um, I just, I really just thought it was great. I mean, and Michael Sarah's timing is, is truly, truly awesome in this. And I was just dying. I mean, I watched, I watched about 15 minutes of this movie and then I stopped it and I went and found my wife who was doing something else. And I was like, Hey, like, you're going to want to watch this. This is going to be great. And it did. I kind of like the third act lost me a little bit, but I still thought it was really fucking good. And it really just felt like Edgar Wright flexing in a way that, you know, the feeling that you only get from really great filmmakers. And I just, yeah, I loved it. I really loved it. I'm so happy you watched this. And I, you are, I think, making a pretty huge admission. And the best part of this movie is uh, Brie Larson. And she has this incredible, like, musical intro. Oh, I wish I remember oh my God. The name yes. of the song that she does. But. They, they kind of remixed the song for her and, and it sort of like revealed like this is uh, like an ex-girlfriend or something, Scott Pilgrim or something like that. And it's just like, I remember watching this movie and being like, oh my God, that was just fucking awesome. Mm, she rocks it. Yeah. She fucking yeah. kills it. And yeah, this is just fun from fucking start to finish. 
This is Michael Sarah kills it. I feel like I never. Well, that's that's a lie. Obviously, Michael Sarah and super bad. But I felt like outside of that, I mean, this is like his big fucking like starring role that so many people love him for, and and he crushes it. Yeah, and I think I actually think what I really gravitated to in this film was like, town. You and I love like high school and college movies. Mm-hmm. But there's not, I think there's not enough like 23 year old movies, like one year post college. And anytime I see them, I'm like, yes, this is great. Well, it's because nobody likes you when you're 23. Wow. 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 I see what you did there. And it's also true. God, you just, you just know how to be on brand for, for me. Wow. You just know how to do it. Incredible. All right. Wow. We're at number one. Holy shit. Oh my god. I've got big guns for number 1. So So I'm actually I'm going to I'm going to build you guys up because I'm going to say that my number 1 isn't necessarily a massive film in the scope of mainstream movie going, but in the worldscape of foreign cinema, this is a very big film. I'm a very big fan of foreign films and This is one that has been on my list for quite some time now. I finally got around to it and it was, it was by far the best film I saw for, for my tastes uh, this past week. And so it has to take the number one spot. And that is 2003's memories of murder by Bong Juno. Oh yeah. Nice. Written and directed by him. Have you guys both seen it? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, this just hits everything I fucking love in films. I mean, not only is it like, is it a crime thriller, but it just has this incredible tone where it's, there's humor. There actually, of course, is the, these murders that were, so pretty much to give you the plot really quickly. Um, So it's a South Korean film. And it's based off, loosely based on a true story of Korea's like first confirmed serial killer and the murders that took place uh, between 1986 and 1991. And so there's two detectives in this film that we're following. There's, there's specifically one who is, you know, been the local detective for a while. And then there's one who comes in, he's new and he, is pretty, you know, he's a smart guy and he sort of comes in and tries to, he's shaking things up a little bit. And so we follow the film and and pretty much this, these murders, each one takes place when it is raining outside and when a woman is wearing something red. And that's, that's sort of the basis of what they figure out is happening each time that one of these, these murders is committed and and to give you some of the cast, we've got Song Kang Ho, Kim. Sa- Kim I'm so sorry if I butcher any of these names. Kim Sang Kyung, Kim Roha, Park Hyil, and Byun Hee Bong. That's that's some of the the big the big guns in there. Um, Song Kang Ho is is the biggest one in there, who of course is also in Parasite. But uh, man, this movie just was fucking awesome. From the first frame to the last frame. And again, sadly, a film where I I don't want to talk about the ending to ruin it. But similar 
in how much I appreciated in the mood for love's ending, I really appreciated this ending, even if I can't really talk about it. Just I really appreciated the ending. And what's what's so cool about this movie is after you watch it, I recommend looking up the real case, not before, but after. Yeah, Tan, that's what I was going to ask you is if you know what happened sort of since the movie. I do. And that just makes the ending just all the more incredible. And I, I mean, yeah, it's just do not research it prior to watching the movie. Research it after and it'll be a very nice compliment. Yeah, agree. But yeah, I mean, you guys all know that, listen, that Mike and I are massive true crime nuts. And this scratches that itch a bit. Um, I also just love Bong Joon-ho's style. The man is is fucking awesome. He does so such a good job at sort of creating this this brand of humor amongst what also can be a serious film. And I just I think he straddles that line beautifully here and this this was just top tier cinema for me. I fucking loved it. Yeah, I'm so happy you brought this up. I mean, he is just like such an incredible filmmaker for so many reasons. And uh, and I think that he's been really, really consistent mm-hmm. for a long time. Agreed. But uh, and I'm not really sure. Was this like early on for this his, was his second his... film? Yeah. So, I mean, he yeah, has just gone on to make some pretty amazing stuff. And this was like a good, uh, good show of what he do. Memories of Murder, also a Tarantino favorite. Yes, it is. He's just sort of that like parasite. Uh, hey! uh, <laughs> we gotta get sound effects. Yeah. We really do. We need some like zinger noises. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're gonna fucking take that and we're gonna take it from there. Delayed sound effect. Amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, I it, he's so great. I, I think that uh, he's just one of those filmmakers that you could really kind of like get all of his films and, and watch them from the beginning and, and be so incredibly um, happy with everything that's come out. So agree. This is a great first pick down from him. And they're, they're doing like a, I mean, this is a little, this isn't memories of a murder, but they're doing a parasite TV show with uh, who's, who's their guy. I don't know. Some other <laughs> person, but. but they really, they're doing a parasite TV show. Yeah, I'm trying to think who's um, who's the guy that used to partner with Will Ferrell on everything. Oh, Adam McKay. Adam McKay. Him and Adam McKay are teaming up for uh, a Parasite TV show. Wait, that's crazy. Yeah, and and hopefully he can survive like that jump to American stuff. I mean, he Oksha was kind of like maybe his worst movie, and that was like done at Netflix, and and so hoping that he can do a parasite and not lose that Koreanness that is so amazing with his movies. I'm hoping so. I feel somewhat confident given that he went from Okja to Parasite. And Parasite I thought was fucking fantastic. Yeah. I mean Okja was not terrible. It just it wasn't as good as like Snowpiercer. No, definitely not. It wasn't one of his it was one of it was definitely one of my least favorite of his, but it was still solid. I feel like we're just name dropping every one of his films right now. Oh, dude, haven't you heard? We we know things. 
I do know because I am the host of the podcast. Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> oh my god, you guys are really good. How do you? How do they do it? <laughs> FYI, the host is a movie of. Okay, <laughs> I was just telling a client today that uh, barking dogs never bite. Right. I see what you're now doing. we're just going too far. Now There's we're just going overboard. Much. Oh, overboard. <laughs> <laughs> Not a Bong Joon-ho film, but one of Mike's favorites. Uh, all right. I'm I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> well, with that incredible segue, yeah. <laughs> my number one. <laughs> I can't this wait. Why Mike, this is why Mike is the host yeah. in your town. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Give it to us. Give it to us. All right. Are you ready? I don't know if I'm ready. Are you ready? I don't know. I don't think you're ready, Town, because whoa, whoa, whoa. my number one has been something that you and I have talked about for an extraordinarily long time. Holy shit. And I don't think you've ever known that I've never seen this movie. My number one is 1996, directed by Doug Lyman. No! And starred in by Jon Favreau. No! Uh, My number one is Swingers. Oh, no money. It is so money. I'm speechless. (laughs) I'm so, that's not that's not money. <laughs> I know. I don't. It's so funny because you literally say that's so money. I think like five times. A day. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you're so money, and you don't why. even know it. I have never seen this movie. You talk about it all the time. It was just one that I just like didn't see, and I love John Favreau Ugh. so much. Doug Liman is amazing. I I really. Wish I had seen it. I think maybe five years earlier would have been amazing. Yep. But the reason why I love that I didn't see it as soon as I showed up in LA, because I, I moved to LA about uh, like 11 years ago, 11 and a half. And it wouldn't have been as funny to me. There are so many moments uh, in this movie that make sense now that I live in LA. And just for a little... Um, very teeny tiny synopsis for anybody that hasn't seen this movie. It's um, about like some down on their luck, uh, out of work actors and comedians. Um, the lead actor is John Favreau, which from the poster, I actually didn't expect that. I thought that Vince Vaughn was going to be the lead. But uh, John Favreau is the lead and he has been broken up by his girlfriend and, and he's out living in LA trying to make it as a comedian. And it's not going all that well for him. Um, and Vince Vaughn is just constantly trying to get him to get back on horse, <laughs> date some new people. Is it? I feel like, Town, you should be describing this movie. I mean, but it, it was hilarious. And the great thing about this movie, it's, I guess the brilliance of the movie is in how uncomfortable it makes you feel. Yes. And that there are times when I am so embarrassed by what's going on on screen that I really don't want to like watch it. Like my wife made me watch um, uh, one of those twilight movies. And there's this moment where one of the actors acting is so bad. The director literally cuts to this wide shot where you can't even see this like dramatic moment from an actor. (laughs) And it was like, so awkward. I couldn't even watch it. This is like this level of awkwardness 
they like I can't look away and like somehow love them even more for it because they're like Vince Vaughn's character is so like confident and says <laughs> the weirdest shit. Um, John Favreau's character Mike is so not confident um, and it just makes the most obnoxious mistakes and yet you just love him even more for that and it takes a really really talented writer and actor I think to pull that off to make you still want to watch when they're just bombing so hard so I loved it Uh. I have to say there were and by the way before this I, I didn't even have this at number one, but I was, I kept thinking about swingers. It was sort of like what you were talking about. Um, I had to put it at number one because I, I just, it was something that was like stuck in my mind. I had Chunking Express above it and I love that movie, but I really just could not stop thinking about swingers. There were some moments that just resonated so intensely for me. Like the scene where all of them jump into five separate cars to go to the same party. (laughs) I was like, literally everyone in LA does that. Yep. The moment when they get to the party and everyone at the party stops and looks over who had entered and then realizes that it's not like a celebrity or something (laughs) and then go back to what they're doing. It's like, man, they get LA parties. (laughs) It gives an insight to life out here that there's there are movies that give an insight to LA lifestyle but this is just such a i feel like down and dirty pure version of what it is for a struggling you know struggling entertainment types in LA i don't really think there's other movies like it it's it's sort of its own thing to a degree and the dialogue is just so good in it and and i mean speaking of uncomfortable scenes while they're how about the infamous voicemail scene? I know. I mean, it's it's fantastic. Oh, my God. It's unbelievable. You just see him bombing so hard. To give anyone that hasn't seen it a little bit of background, there's a scene where John Favreau's character, Mike, calls this woman, Nikki, that he, whose number he had just gotten at a bar, and he leaves her a voicemail decides he doesn't quite like the voicemail and proceeds to just leave her many voicemails. And it is so painful. It is painful to watch. Like it's so uncomfortable, but again, it was something that I kept watching and I was dying laughing at (laughs) and I did not want to turn away from it, which is, is just a fascinating way to, it's just, I don't feel like I've ever been in that situation before. I don't think I've ever experienced that where someone's doing something so terrible <laughs> and yet you still love them so much. And like it, it, it's unbelievable how such a low budget film was able to sort of work its way into the, into the zeitgeist for so long. I mean, the using the word money in that way, like you're so money baby is completely created through this film. And so many people, use it to this day i'm probably a bigger offender than most but it is a widely (laughs) used term throughout the world which i just think is unbelievable from this little you know i forget how much the whole movie cost but it was not a lot of money it was a very yeah i think it was like a million dollars and i mean honestly like no it was like it was like one or two hundred thousand dollars it was it was low budget I mean, I read this interesting bit of trivia as a, they're headed back from 
Vegas and they stopped on the side of the road and you're not allowed to film there and like nobody gets permits there and the cops show up to tell them to get out of there and uh, I think it was like the first AD is like talking to the cops installing them and Doug Lyman is not looking through the viewfinder of the camera just letting cameras roll and has the audio like that's like the mics that are in the car and they're doing their whole scene like kind of un like without the cops really knowing about it. Um, and they were able to get the scene by the side of the highway um, oh that you're not supposed to film at. And I was like, man, that is, those are those stories of like indie filmmaking that you just love. They're just like getting it done no matter what. And so I, I was really stoked and, and yeah, they really did it on a shoestring. Well, and that's an incredible story because that scene is one of the more, I mean, there's many somewhat iconic moments but i mean that's where you get one of the most famous you know you're so money and you don't even know so it so money yeah i mean honestly i kind of wanted to punch vince vaughn like, I know, I know, like I know. 30 <laughs> times that he said baby oh but not even you're so money just like the amount of times he said baby, baby. Like, she's a cute little adorable the little baby, baby. I'm like, oh, but God. then you fucking love when he just gets like made fun of at the end i i really loved it and i this is both i'm so excited that i was able to watch it in this setting, but also so sorry for like lying to you so long. It's like whenever you'd say you're so money, baby, I'd say it back, and so I'm happy. God, just a fraud all this time. <laughs> I think we're all money together. We are. Baby. We really are. You're yeah. you're forgiven. You're forgiven because it led to this epic, speechless moment by me. Thank you. That's I now appreciate that it's really been kind of haunting me for a long time. <laughs> Not haunting me as much as birds haunt me, but but a close almost. second. A close second. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, amazing. Amazing number one. I mean, I couldn't have asked for something more legendary. Okay. Although, well, let's see what Mike has to pick now. Definitely the, the biggest offender of all of our 15 picks. There's no doubt about that. Whoa. Putting Braveheart to shame, honestly. Because <laughs> I'm going to confess on the pod. Whoa. I never pretended that I saw this movie, though. I will say that. I've never had <laughs> conversations about the film. And quoted the film and then just not seen it at all. That is 1941's Citizen Kane. Wow. Oh my God. Holy shit for you, Mike. This is massive. I've even seen this. This is crazy, actually, that you haven't seen this. This is the t You're the type of person I would assume has seen this movie. I mean, arguably the most discussed movie of all time. At the very least in the top five. Certainly in the top five, many, many publications have had it the number one film of all time for, for years and years now. Not exactly when it came out, but but not there far thereafter. And I I think the reason I didn't see it was just that there's so much out there about it. You know, obviously the end has been spoiled. There's nobody that doesn't know the end. Um, you know, the themes, everybody knows the themes. They know about the controversy of making the film. You know, the, I mean... Fincher just did a film about the making of the film and the writing of the film. Uh, I mean, everything is just sort of out there. We know about William Randolph Hearst and how it's all about him and blah, blah, blah. Like, I've just known everything about the film. And I was like, you know, I'll get around to it someday. But like, eh, I just never did. So Citizen Kane, I'm not coming in with a hot take. It's not like a terrible film that like people have been lying to you about. Um, but it also isn't exactly what I thought. To be honest, there's there's some parts of it that I really like. I just kind of assumed that Kane, based on what I've heard, was like just going to be a dick all the time. And I'm not saying he's like a great person, but like 
he's really funny and he's really charming and he has these relationships and these romances. Like he's a, he's a whole individual, um, which I really thought was cool. And, and I thought Orson's performance was great um, in the lead uh, as well. And um, I think some of, you know, I think a lot of the sort of technical or maybe the style you could say of this film gets talked about a lot. While some of that is noticeable, obviously a lot more is sort of commonplace today. So I think you have to be a little bit more sort of well-versed in film to kind of appreciate the things that are being done at the time. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. And I, and I was very happy that it wasn't, wasn't exactly what I expected it to be. I, I'm super happy you finally saw it. it. It's This is a difficult movie to talk about because you really have to toe the line of not sounding like a pretentious asshole when you talk about Citizen Kane. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, it's... God, it's like I'm even struggling to, like, give it compliments. But the truth is that this is a really good movie. <laughs> yeah. I. It's not my favorite movie, but, like, this, the plot is really incredible and really deep and you learn so much about uh this character and then it brings you to william randolph first um and it really was like a huge change in in filmmaking so it means a lot to a lot of filmmakers um this was i think orson welles first movie too i mean it was just like one of those times of like young people new on the scene given the power to like actually create something and they do an insanely good job and it speaks to their generation for so many reasons. And yeah, I mean, this just, it it has been parodied. It it has been memorialized and it kind of deserves to be. So I, I mean, I really like this movie. I think if it's one of those, I think this is probably for a lot of people, one of those movies that's like, it's on a lot of people's lists. A lot of people have heard about this and just haven't taken that plunge. And I think that you will be left for most people just like, okay, I saw it. I'm happy I saw it. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know exactly what to think because it's it's a lot to think about. And, and it's sort of like we had mentioned with the Kubrick movies, keep makes you want to come back for more. Um, so, I mean... I, I'm really stoked that you saw it. Me too. And I actually feel like I'm about due for a rewatch because I saw it for the first time, admittedly, because we all know that I don't typically just go for a 1941 film. But I first saw this in film school. For town, if it's black and white, it ain't all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Great tagline for me. Um, there we go. <laughs> But I saw this in film school originally, and I had that exact feeling when I finished. I was like, okay, I saw it. I saw it. Like, it was, a, it's good. Like, not my favorite movie, but I enjoyed it. And I was, I was pleasantly surprised at how much I enjoyed it. And I feel like, obviously, now I probably saw it when I was 20. So, you know, over a decade later, I feel like there might be even another level of appreciation at this age. So I definitely want to give it another, another watch. And I'd say truly, like in all seriousness, as much as we joke, I, I, I see a lot of newer movies. I'd say I'm typically a 1970s and later guy. And there's a few films from the 60s that I fucking love. But typically, if you go earlier than that, it's just not my cup of tea usually. And, you know, Mike's been breaking me a little bit throughout the pod. And there's been a few that have I've been massive fan of. 
that have been much older even, but Citizen Kane is definitely one that I think is undeniable. It's, I think you you put it perfectly, Wilder, in that it's on a lot of people's lists, and I think most people, after they finish watching it, say, wow, okay, I did it. Like it, It's off the list. It was good, and I think that's where it's going to end for a lot of people, but it's such an important part of film history. If you haven't seen it, highly encourage doing it, and for Mike, this is just a fucking shocker and a half. I just... I'm so glad you've seen it, but my God, I I cannot believe that's what just came out of your mouth. Yeah, it's it's been out there, and and I will say, I mean, you guys have kind of said it, but it, the film is not nearly as pretentious as the discussion of the film is, and it's still very because it used a lot of techniques that have become modern. It's still quite approachable and easy to watch, and I did get the feeling you have to watch it uh, at least twice to really fully appreciate it. But I mean, it's yeah. Just watch it. Don't don't be afraid of all the talk about it. Like maybe I was. Yeah, I think that's a super good point. That yeah, like the talk about it is more pretentious than the movie. Definitely. It's yeah, that's like a really incredible way to put it because it, it's like it's not that pretentious just because it's about William Randolph Hearst and everything. So it's like uh, and it was made a, sort of like against him. Really good pick. Amazing pick. So. Let's recap our lists real quickly. So my number five was Primal Fear. My number four was Basic Instinct. Number three, Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Two, The Thin Red Line. And number one, Memories of Murder. Mine was uh, Braveheart. Cinema Paradiso at number four. Number three was Rolling Thunder. Number two was Chunking Express. And number one, Swingers. Um, five, The Untouchables. Four, The Birds. Three, The Princess Bride. Two, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. And one, Citizen Kane. I'm not going to get over the birds being on there. That's just, that was too much for me. Just, just with Wilder of all people. Yeah. The reason that I ever think of the birds is, is you. If I see anything about the birds, Wilder... You're the only person that comes to mind immediately. Yeah, I mean, I I really like the list of movies that you chose to saw to chose to see. Wow, I feel like they were really strong lists all around. I really enjoyed these. Yeah, I know. I mean, it, it, that's sort of the great thing about this show is that you've heard about a lot. You've heard about these movies a lot. You know that they're good, um, and so well, I guess that's except for uh, uh, what is it, Primal Fear, Tom? No, I liked Primal Fear. I liked Primal Fear, except for, honestly, my list in our previous episode where I did yeah. something I've never done and I didn't like four of the five films. Well, you, people are talking about them for one reason or another, and so it's nice to kind of knock them out and, and see something you, you really enjoy. A hundred percent. And it was, oh, dude. I mean, I can't tell you how much of a pleasure this has been. I am so I'm so excited that you guys asked me. This is amazing, dude. And and we'll ask you back again. There there will be I hope so. there will be a sequel episode to to our first episode together. And maybe right. maybe I, we found out the topic before the episode. Who knows? We'll tell you guys later if that's what we end up yeah. doing for our next one with with Wilder. But it's I mean, and there was just so many funny. I'm never gonna get over the fucking birds. I'm never gonna fucking get over. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah. 
Unreal. That was amazing. Unreal. Well, th- this has been incredible. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Of course, it's it has been our pleasure. And if you really like this episode, I highly encourage you guys. If you know you're in a place to throw a few bucks a month towards a Patreon, we're gonna have this specific series. We're gonna have two episodes, uh, two episodes a year of this, and we have so many other recurring series. And we do bonus episodes, two bonus episodes each month, where we talk about more current uh, films, TV, music. Uh, check it out if you're interested. But other than that, if you want to reach out to us, we're on Instagram at Top Fives and Deep Dives. We're on Twitter at Top Dives, and we'd love to hear from you guys. Want to hear your picks, if there's any movies you have not seen that are massive and you should have. And fuck yeah, this has been awesome. Thanks, Wilder. We love you. We'll see you guys next week. Peace. Thanks, guys. Top fives and deep dives with Town of PTM. Top fives and deep dives with Town of PTM. Top fives and deep dives with Town of PTM. Top fives and deep dives with Town of PTM. My favorite director would have to be Martin Scorsese, followed by Quentin Tarantino. Uppity sons of bitches.